what is our created purpose? If, if we've got this, we've got this real problem with decision making. We see it with, with parents too. I mean, the parents of our students, we have interaction with them and, and we kind of see a lot where the students are getting some of this, you know, an inability to think about the consequences of their actions, to make good decisions. They say they want to make disciples, but, you know, a lot of the areas of their life don't, don't, aren't consistent in and thrusting forward with that. What do you think our created purpose is? And do you have a verse or two that maybe you might draw that from? Glorify God? Yeah? You know, the Wesley talked about that, you know, a little bit. You're to glorify God. Anybody else want to pipe in? Why are we here? What's our created purpose? I think it is to glorify God. And I really do think it is through making disciples, specifically. There, there's a wonderful movement among college students now, the passion movement, and, and there's a lot of emphasis on the glory of God. And it is tremendous. It's wonderful. And I think we need to articulate that. But let's go ahead and finish the sentence. We really bring glory and honor to the Lord by following the Great Commission and raising up biblical disciples. That's how we glorify God. There's a point to it. There's an edge to it. There's a specific task each and every one of us has. So that's why our decision-making, I think, is so extremely strategic. Because if our purpose, our determined purpose, is to know God, to glorify Him by raising up disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit, then how we marry, what our major is, where we go to work, how we pay our taxes how we raise our children, all of those decisions can either elevate and increase our influence for fulfilling the Great Commission or seriously hamstring us in our effectiveness of being disciples. Okay? So I think we've got to, we've got to make a stronger connection with the way that we think in some of the practical areas of life with our call to make disciples. Three things. I think all decisions are inexplicably linked to our character and our priorities. We really do make decisions based on our values, on our, on our character formation, on what's in our heart. Max alluded to that this morning. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's on someone's heart, if you want to know what someone values, listen to what they talk about all the time. Watch where they spend their money. Watch how they spend their time. You look at some of those things, it's a dead giveaway as to what is really going on in the heart of a man or heart of a woman. Some of the illustrations I have here are from a friend of mine, Harold Bullock. He's a pastor down at Hope Community Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Godly, godly man. And he's probably the most intelligent man I've ever met. And so he has really helped flesh this out for me and has used some of these illustrations. And, and I give him credit on the back. And you can go to his website and, and uh, get any materials he has. Well worth it. It's a church planning church in Fort Worth, and they're just dear, dear people. A lot of our OUBSU alums that graduate, many will move down to Fort Worth and tie in with Hope Community Church. Well, the principle is that all human behavior is purposeful. And Harold says it this way, we do things that make sense to us. I mean, have you noticed that? Every single one of us in the decisions we make, in our mind, in our perspective, in the way that we view life, that decision is sane and rational. Now, Dan, when you look at Kendall and you see the decisions he makes, you might think he's crazy. You know, Wick, you might think, you know, Dan's off his rocker, okay? But in their mind, what they're doing makes sense. 
I think that has really been a major breakthrough for me personally in trying to minister to people. Because I'll see these students, they're not heads sometimes, you know, and you're thinking, what in the world? This makes no sense. This is crazy. But until I understand their values, their perspective, what's in their heart, what's motivating those decisions, because in their mind, they're right on track. They're going towards what they want. So we have to go back and look at, and this is this first illustration, where behavior comes from. Behavior comes from the desires of our heart. We've got to start at square one. You all know Jeremiah 17.9. Anybody want to quote that? It's a good verse. What is the heart? Who can understand it? So we're kind of starting off here with a very flawed proposition. If, if behavior is shaped out of what comes out of our heart and we're deceitful and wicked and consumed with sin, we've got some problems from the get-go. Now, praise Jesus, he saved us from our sin. And we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us now. But we still have that, that shadow of the old man in us, you know. And I know 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true and wonderful. Behold, the old has passed, the new has come. But my flesh has a great memory. And I have some old nasty habits, you know, that seem to influence from time to time the desires and the, the affection of my heart. So, from our desires, it comes out on your illustration, and we have a filter. And we filter our desires through our values and our perspective. And that's what shapes and determines our behavior. Matthew 12. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The overflow of the heart. What determines a man is what's in his heart. What we typically do in disciple-making relationships, in ministries like the NAVs, like what we're trying to do at OU, Lord willing, is we, we see someone that has some questionable behavior issues, questionable ability to make decisions, and we want to try to change the behavior. Don't do that. That's not good. Stop that. I've got a three-year-old son, Josiah Max. He's a great kid, but he's already a little sinner, you know? I mean, he, golly. I'm like, man, the fall extended to him, you know? Because as a parent, you're kind of hoping that maybe he'd be the exception. But original sin is very original, okay? And so I see little Josiah Max, I'm thinking, wow. And so I want to, as a good father, modify his behavior. So I'll spank him, and you know we make him stay in his room, and he doesn't like that because he's a real people person, and he wants to be where the action is. He's like his mother, very sanguine, very excited, very happy, and he hates to be in his room alone. But I found that that is really only a short-term fix. You know, a little bit of a spanking, some time in his room. He's aware that there's a problem, but until we go back and, and look at the values and the perspective, and as good parents, to try to raise and, and shape that biblically, his behavior long-term will not change. Some of you guys have been making disciples for decades. You have forgotten more about disciple-making than I'll probably ever understand. And you've seen that. You've seen someone that has a pattern in their life. They aren't making good decisions. They're not really following through on the purpose of completing the Great Commission effectively. And so we try to just to get them to stop what they're doing. It's like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. In some situations particularly relationships when I'm working with guys and they're in a sexual relationship with a girl, they're in bondage to pornography, you know, some really nasty stuff. Yes, there is that sense of we just need to try to get them out of that as soon as possible. But until we deal with the heart and their values and their perspective behind it, 
a week, a month, six months, a semester, they're going to be right back in that stuff again. We have to find out a way to change behavior by modifying those values and perspectives. And I think that's really the key to helping people understand good decision-making in light of the Great Commission. So, for most people and us, what shapes the perspectives and values? you got a list there. Look over that. And I, I want to hear from you guys. I mean, I know you paid good money to be here, but the more feedback we have, just, I don't know, I like to interact with you guys. <laughs> Looking at some of these bullet points, anybody want to say, yeah, this, this was a major influence in, in my values and my perspective growing up to this day, my family? We, when we talk about values, we kind of have aspirational values and real values. Aspirational values like, I, I, I love Jesus. I want him to be the Lord of my life. But the real value is, let's look at your life and see what, what fruit do we see. Where are you spending your time? What, what is coming out of your heart? Again, I think that's part of that disconnect I'm seeing with students on our campus. They're saying all the right things. They're worshiping in a very expressive way, you know, in our, in our time of music and praise. And they're going on mission trips. But then we take a look over here and... What, what is coming out in their behavior really doesn't jive with what they're saying with their mouth. And so we kind of have this, kind of like, what, again, what Max was saying this morning. One of the first steps is help them become aware of the contradiction. They're aspiring to a lifestyle and uh, this, this area of lordship for their life, but they're not making the decisions and they're not going to pay the price to get there. And, you know, in about 15 or 20 years there'll be one more hypocrite that's in the church that their neighbor talks about, that they see. Kind of have this Christian duality going on. Saying one thing, doing something else. I think as, as men and women that are committed to making disciples and, and being a disciple, these are all things that you know, we need to be kind of swirling around in your relationships with people. And of course, we're coming together over the Word of God and we're praying for our disciples. We're building deeply into them. It's the God giving the growth, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. We, we know that in and of ourselves, we can't foster and create spiritual things. It's God working through us in our obedience and our humility, our faith. But I think if we'll be aware of someone's upbringing, their educational experience, yes, their personality, their concept of God. Last night, we were having a retreat with freshmen, and we were spending major time on their identity in Christ because we have such a pathetic understanding of who we are in Jesus. And we believe a lot of lies from the enemy. And our culture is only more too willing to feed us a bunch of junk. And these students buy into this stuff. Life experience. Personality again. Your stage in life. Some of you are nearing retirement. Others of you, like, you know, Jeff just came in, you know, you guys have been married. You still have the newlywed glow, you know. Your stage in life will, in a lot of ways, affect what you value and your perspective. Spiritual gifting, culture in general. Well, what are our values? We might help to define our terms a little bit. Values are the relative worth, utility, or degree of importance we put on matters. And again, it's really expressed in what we applaud and how we applaud that with our life by giving time to it, money, effort. Our behavior really does indicate our real values. Our perspective is our worldview. It's beliefs about cause and effect, truth versus reality. 
Again, we see this with students. They, there's, a, there's a major, um, this idea of really wanting to be real. It's all about being real and authentic. And man, that, that's refreshing. Coming out of, you know, being a preacher's kid and growing up in a um, traditional church and very thankful, but I didn't see a lot of authenticity, to be honest with you. I didn't see a lot of transparency. I didn't have role models of men talking about struggles, being honest. I, I didn't, you know, it's kind of the stiff upper lip version of Christianity. I think the generation on our college campuses now really are moving away from that. I think they've seen that too and they're reacting to it. And it's very much about being real and authentic. However, that's being elevated at the expense of truth sometimes. And being real and authentic and transparent is more important than being right, than being biblical. And so I've, I've seen, we've been in situations where we've had students that are very passionate and very, very real and authentic about some things they're feeling, but they're dead wrong. You know, sincerity does not equal belief as far as truth goes. Those guys that flew the planes into the World Trade Center were extremely sincere. They're dead wrong. So we need to help, again, create an awareness because all this goes back in the way we make our decisions. And the key, Max stole my thunder, God bless him, is character. Okay, If we want to develop good decision-making, in light of the Great Commission, we've got to focus on character development. And I just refer you back to as much as this morning, and he could say it 15 times better than I can, but maybe I might have a thing or two here just to add. Um, character is moral, to, moral quality by which a person is judged apart from intelligence, apart from your competence or special talents you might have. Those are extremely important. But that does not define your character. I love this. Reputation is what people think you are. Your character is what you really are. When no one's around, when no one can see, that person really shows the character in your heart. Some of us are really good at playing a game. We're really good at marketing a certain image and people buy it. You know, Abraham Lincoln said we can fool some of the people some of the time and a lot of the people some of the time, but we can't fool everybody all the time, right? So a lot of us are very much into image management, reputation, marketing, and we avoid godly character. And I love this illustration then of an, of an iceberg. And if you've got a color copy, it looks really good, you know. <laughs> Through black and white, you kind of have to put the color in there. But, you know, in our culture, a lot more emphasis is being placed on personality and skill sets than character. I mean, we see it everywhere. We see it in politics, good grief. We see it in business. And yes, we see it within the church, within the body of Christ. That if you're a good speaker, if you've got a good dog and pony show, you're innovative, you're creative, that will get you somebody writing an article about you. They'll get a buzz about what you're doing. But where's the character that can sustain a lifelong ministry of making disciples, glorifying God, and completing the Great Commission? We're all concerned about what people can see above the waterline. But the Titanic found out it's what below, what's below that waterline that really makes a difference, right? Well, this next illustration I, I think really helps for me. And this, this, I'm still chewing on this. I've been, I've been pushing on this and working with this for about two or three years now. And it's the idea of the hollow man. 
And I think I'm seeing where the problem is. And this is just really put vocabulary to what I've been feeling and thinking. And I saw, but I couldn't. I'm just not smart enough to, to have figured it out. So the idea is that we're creating hollow men and hollow women in our ministries, in our disciple-making ministries. What we're doing is, oftentimes, we focus on ministry skills, that third level there, we, we, we jump immediately to apologetics and doctrine and systematic theology, ministry strategy, extremely important things, crucial things. We know that. But we, we want to start there because that's what a lot of the books people are reading. That's where a lot of the good conversations and discussions are going. So in our training models, a lot of times there's a lot of focus there, and they learn how to lead groups, they learn how to work as a part of a team, they're, they're reading a lot of good stuff, and they're talking about leadership, you know, that's the buzz, you know, in my denomination, it's, it's all about leadership, we did discipleship back in the 70s and 80s, now it's leadership, you know, we've done that, we did a program, and now let's do a new program, let's do something different, church growth, I mean, that's everywhere, those are all good things, but... That's what creates the hollow man or the hollow woman. I saw it at Southwestern Seminary 10 years ago. And I was probably one of the hollow men running around. You come down here, and at that time, it was the largest seminary on the planet, over 4,000 students. And they never talked about quiet time, ever. Never talked about scripture memory. We very rarely prayed. These are Bible-believing inerrantists. The whole, I mean, you know, tremendous men of God. But there was just an assumption that those personal spiritual disciplines and character formation had already taken place. There's a lot of Baylor boys, a lot of A&M boys, you know, a couple of OU boys down there. And, you know, we, we need a lot, a lot more work in some of those areas of our life. And so you see the little arrow there, seminary students enter here. That's where a lot of us guys, a lot of these girls were coming in. And so they come into this phenomenal academic, spiritual type environment well, you're learning Greek and Hebrew and you're learning how to preach a good sermon and organize and lead a church and strategy and mythology and, you know, good stuff. Paying a lot of money for this. But as we would grow in our skill sets and in our leadership and our communication ability, that part below the waterline was still really small. And we know the rest of the story. You guys, if you're part of a church, you've been part of a church very long, you've probably heard of some story of a youth minister running off with somebody, a pastor having an affair, someone stealing money out of the offering plate. And just time and time again, we see what in the world? Here's this God's man or God's woman. And boom, just this spiritual implosion. And it ruins the body. There's bitterness. People leave the church, they're hurt, they're angry. Families are torn apart. Why? Because you had this hollow man or hollow woman that was extremely effective in all the skills and all the to-dos, but they didn't have the character underneath to sustain the ministry. They couldn't make good decisions long-term to fulfill the Great Commission. That's why I so appreciate the Navigators. And, you know, in our small way, and at OU, we're trying to how do I walk with Jesus? Well, we need some follow-up. Good old-fashioned, biblical follow-up. The disciplines, you know, they never get old. They never, they never go out of style. 
And we might not say quiet time anymore because, again, that was in the 70s. You know, we might say time with God or instead of Scripture memory, we might say, well, hiding God's Word on your heart. Okay, whatever semantics work for you, these are the principles. These are the things. These are the vehicles that God uses sometimes in a very painful way over a period of time to exercise us, to build spiritual muscle that develops godly character. The spiritual disciplines in and of themselves cannot and will not make you holy. Okay? But they are a vehicle. They are a means to an end. And the end is what? Christ-likeness. And we've got to walk through that with our students. Because when you get a young man or young woman, very passionate, very excited, and they start having a quiet time, they start memorizing verses, it's easy to kind of make that a performance-based thing. If I memorize one more verse, God will love me a little bit more. If I have a couple more quiet times, I'll be you know, more accepting to God. That's dangerous. But I tell you, to be honest with you, if I could choose, I would rather have a student at least doing the disciplines and maybe even with the wrong motive initially because I feel like after a time, God will redirect them. I mean, if you're in the Word consistently, I like your chances. But the guy that won't get in the Word, his car ain't started. It ain't moving anywhere. At least if it's rolling, we can turn the wheel. Okay? So how do I walk with Jesus? See, that's that. And again, you know, I'm so thankful and proud of the the heritage I have with my church and and my father's ministry. But there just wasn't a lot of conversation about those things growing up. I remember vacation Bible school and Sunday school a little bit. There was talk about that. But kind of once you got older, it's like you moved on. You know, you didn't talk about that stuff as much. And if it wasn't for the OUBSU, I, I, I wouldn't have really heard it in a very clear way. And I didn't hear it at seminary. It's interesting now, Billy Hanks, most of you all know Billy Hanks. He's discipled by Max when he was a student at Baylor years ago. You know, Billy discipled Rick Warren too. But Billy has now, and and Max both, have a lot of kind of um, access to Southwestern and Midwestern Seminary. And they're creating good old-fashioned follow-up man-to-man programs for all the incoming students to the seminary. Because they're finally starting to see, we've got to talk about that stuff. We need people in the Word that are going to be leading your churches. We need people that know how to have a quiet time and have an active prayer life, to have a heart to share the gospel. Just to be able to read something in the Greek, as good as that is, that is not going to be enough to sustain good decisions that fulfill the Great Commission. What do I do about this area of my life? Expanding lordship. And there's, man, I'm... Actually, pleasantly surprised you guys came to hear me this morning. There's some great workshops I wish I could go to. I'm going to buy the MP3 so I can be there. And we talk about finances, dating, usage of time, priorities, all of those things. That's a part of that character formation, that character development. Why? Because that's how, over a period of time, those values and perspective change that will affect the outcome of behavior so that we can forge those connections in the way we make decisions so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. So, okay, here's our, our, um, in the time we have left, I'm going to have to move here a little bit. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3. Again, you saw it's typed on your notes, okay? Max referred to it, but I did have it in print, so. No, man, I'm so thankful he is my friend, and if I do anything good at all, I owe the credit to my Lord and to him. He's... He's been such a dear, dear friend to me. And you guys have probably done this before, but I want us to, to do it again. It's just it, it's, it bears repeating it. It bears a second look. Go to 1 Timothy 3, and um, we're going to have a little group activity. This is a workshop, so we're going to do some work here. Okay? 
Get in groups of two or three. And I want you to quickly go through, starting in verse 1, you know, to about... Oh, you could almost do the whole chapter, but um, why don't you go down to like verse 13... And um, you might need to get out another piece of paper or if you could... Eh, I didn't really give you any room. But draw a line and on one column write skill and on the other column write character. And I want you to quickly, with a friend or two, walk through these verses in First Timothy 3. And if you see something that is a definite, obvious skill, put it in that column. And if you see a definite, obvious character trait, put it in that column. This chapter is qualifications for spiritual leadership, specifically the overseers and the rulers in the church. So take about four or five minutes, three minutes, and kind of work through this. You can talk amongst yourselves. You can turn your chairs if you need to. And let's start making a list of skills and character according to 1 Timothy 3. Well... In the interest of time, why don't we come back and um, I, I really hope you could give some extended time to do this. And We've had a good time uh, about the last year doing this with several of our students, uh, really helping them see how upside down not only our culture, but even our Christian culture has become, that we really have elevated, we really applaud and value highly skilled people. And hey, you'll know Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Of course we want to do things with excellence. One of the best messages you'll ever hear, Leroy Imes' message on excellence. is on the 2001 Key Men CD or 2002. It'll blow your doors off. Okay? That is important. But I think you see, I was walking around looking at some of your lists, it starts with character. God sees the heart first. What are some of the character traits for spiritual leadership? What did you all come up with? Sorry, Peter. Self-control. Self-control. Yeah. It's a fruit of the Spirit. I really believe it's, it is. It starts as character. But then, like hospitality, I was talking with Wick a minute ago, it starts here, but it moves over here. The, the practical working itself out. The value in your heart. Remember, values and perspectives shape that. But for some of us, it's an ongoing skill lesson to learn how to exhibit that. What else? Husband of one wife, a.k.a. <laughs> yeah, that's always good. I did have a one-woman man. Man, that's really important. I mean, that's an epidemic in our society. And it, it really affects our Christian culture, too. As important as the skill development is, and we have to have that if we're going to be effective. But... I think so much of what we're doing, and, and even in discipling ministries from time to time, there's so much here that we create this hollow man that is highly skilled. But remember Waylon Moore? You know, you all know Waylon. You know, he used to hang out with Dawes and A.W. A. Tozer. And, you know, he told me, you know, the five ways to teach somebody. And that first one is tell them why. they got to know the why. they got to know the biblical character and the heart of God behind it. So when they know the why, then when you show them how, get them started, keep them going, teach them to reproduce, that all makes sense because of why. It's part of the character of God. And it's part of our character, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, because we're the new man, we're the new woman. We've got nine fruit, fruit, nine fruit filling us. We, it ought to be coming out at some point, right? 
I hope this has been fun. I, I really enjoy just looking at, again, man, and then at the same time I get concerned because, wow, why aren't we talking about this more? Why isn't there a greater emphasis more about the character development in our churches? That's why the spiritual disciplines, I think, come into play here. Why they're so valuable. And, and we all have different things that we use. And I love Don Whitney's, you know, spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. Um, you know, of course, a lot of y'all are, you know, Stephen Foster guys. And, you know, just get some great resources like that to see some of the classic ways we can engage and really understand the Word of God, the heart of God, relationship with Jesus, and how that can help develop character. The, the instant gratification, particularly in the American culture, has blown the doors off the church. And nothing wrong with marketing and packaging and programs, but we feel like if we get somebody through a course, now they're a disciple. What? No, my friend, that is a lifelong pursuit. Character takes a lifetime to develop. But most of us don't have the perseverance to see it through. Or the mentors or the, the types of small groups and ministries that come around and help us go in community to do this. We love fast food and we've got fast Jesus and fast growth. You all have seen this a million times. You know, here's your road and you have, uh, you know, duty and passion. Or you could substitute obedience. Duty is not a bad word for me. Um, and typically, our students, they want to always be in this bar ditch. It's all about, you know, if it feels good, if I'm excited about it, then I'm motivated to do it. Well, you, you will never walk with Jesus, let alone, you'll never hide God's Word on your heart if you wait to be warm and fuzzy and excited to do it. I mean, Max hit the home run again, you know. He's like, how many of you all have struggled with Scripture memory since you started? How many times have you stopped and started and stopped and started? It's like driving a stick shift for the first time. You're popping that clutch. You know, it's like, okay, this time I'm going to get it done. Boom, there I am again. All right? But at the same time, we've had problems in our ministry at OU of students get so motivated out of duty and it's it becomes this rigid, um, almost a pharisaical type relationship where they're earning God's acceptance. So we got to try to keep them in the middle where you're right. The disciplines take obedience and you do them because... That honors God and because He commanded us to do it. We don't have to have a warm fuzzy about spending time with God. We know that we're supposed to do it. And I think if we do, over a period of time, we'll see that passion and desire grow. But I think, wouldn't you agree, even in this room, most of us will tend towards one ditch or the other. Some of us are really more over here and some of us are really more over here. And neither one can be bad, but... I don't know about you, I grew up in Creek County. You just don't want to spend your life driving down the bar ditch, you know? The road is a little bit better. Well, John Crawford said to me once, I don't remember when, it's been probably a few years ago, but I'll never forget, he said, you never outgrow the basics. And I think a lot of times in disciple making, we get cute, and honestly, we just get bored of the basics. And it doesn't mean that we don't ever talk about some of the quote-unquote higher elements of the Christian life and the more complicated and controversial things. We do need to train in doctrine and apologetics and strategy and philosophy of religion and ethics, of course. But I think Crawford, and just like Jim Downey and all those guys that started this so many years ago, they understood it's what's underneath the waterline that really will sustain the long-term growth and success in making good decisions so we can fulfill the Great Commission together. And if you always keep those basics in front of you and you're moving that direction, then when you build on that foundation, there's some real substance and character in your life 
and you're not a hollow man or a hollow woman. And some of these illustrations just are really resonating with me right now, and um, I wanted to share them with you. And it's really given me some peace in working with our students at OU when they're acting like a, a knothead, and and I'm tempted to react and just you know deal with the direct behavior I see. But take a step back, prayerfully on my knees before the Lord, biblically trying to see, okay, where's their heart? What is the value? Because in their mind, what they're doing makes sense to them. How can we biblically change that redirection, move that connection where they value and the perspective is based on the Word of God and the character of God and the person of Jesus Christ? If we can start, and that takes time and that's painful, but if we can shift that polarity in the heart of people, then I think we can make decisions that will be consistent with the values that we say we have. And we're not saying one thing and doing something else, maybe like your boss, who's identifying with faith, but man, they're not helping you out any at work. Okay? Any final questions or comments or concerns about anything we've talked about? Thank you all for being so attentive and engaging with me. Um, I got an extra copy again. Jason, you want it back? Or Okay, I got a color one if anybody wants it. But thank you guys so much. And I'd, I love this, this time in September every year. It's a real treat for me. So let me pray over you, and uh, we'll let you guys get over to lunch. Father in heaven, thank you so much for these men and women. And Lord, I know that talk is really cheap. And we can say a lot of things and mean a lot of things. But again, our, our heart and what we value, what is in our soul, that character, Father, that is forged in you in a relationship with you that is intimate, it's dynamic, it's real. Those are things that need to come out of our life. And I pray for every one of us that we'd be committed to establishing your character in our heart and really raising that up in the men and women you've given us to train. And how developing important and strategic skills can help with that process. But ultimately, it really comes down to the character that you form in us through your relationship with us. Lord, give me endurance. Give me stamina. I get tired, Father, and I want the shortcut, like Doug was saying. I want the easy way out. I want to go through the drive through and get my to-go order and move on. And Lord, I just read the biographies of guys like Hudson Taylor and George Mueller. And their hand, both hands were on the plow. And their eyes were fixed on you. Lord God, help us to be the men and women you created us to be so we can fulfill the Great Commission that we make good decisions. It's not, not some blueprint or formula we just kind of follow mechanically. It's a relationship with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.